Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a golf course. 70 courses. Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. In 1982, an ambitious 17-year-old cook named Eric had just finished a European culinary training program. At the time, there were exactly 18 restaurants in France that had three stars from a Michelin guide. I write letters to all of them. I'm sure. And only one answer. The restaurant that answered was La Tour d'Argent. So 1982, La Tour d'Argent is 400 years old already a 400-year-old restaurant in the 5th arrondissement, the heart of Paris, noted in the works of Hemingway and Proust, whose dining room looks out on the Cathedral Notre Dame on the Ile de la Cité. I received a call on a Friday. I am in Andorra, where I was living, which is a tiny country between France and, and mm-hmm. Spain. I have a call. It's the sous-chef of La Tour d'Argent on the phone. And he says to me, you know, we have a job for you. You send a letter. And uh, so I ask, when can I start? It's Friday afternoon. He said, Monday. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) I pack my suitcase. My parents bought an airline ticket. I end up in Paris. I take the subway for the first time in my life. I got out at Pont-Marie, which is uh, the closest to La Tour d'Argent. And then I walk on that bridge and I see the building. And I'm like, oh terrorized (laughs) and I'm walking everything is slow everything is like a movie the restaurant is within a six-story building made of smooth yellow stone on a busy street along the river Seine and for a young chef from the hinterlands newly arrived in the teeming city it was forbidding I go to the restaurant it's a staircase that is probably 400 years old as, as well uh that goes up to the kitchen. The cook say, go, go to the floor below, get changed, come back, I come back. And I'm waiting for my, I am in a fish station. I didn't, didn't know, but. You always wind up in the fish station. I don't know it's why, crazy, it's isn't it? destiny. <laughs> and then I'm waiting for this guy, Maurice, and he says, well, I'm going to change, start to cut some shallots. And I, sure, and I cut my finger and I go see him in the locker room and ask for a band-aid. He's not happy. <laughs> then he asked me later on, I mean, he gave me some easy tasks, and then he asked me to make an Hollandaise. And it's a disaster. Had you made a Hollandaise before? I think once in culinary school. Just but once. I, I made, or maybe twice, but you, may, you, may, you make it with two egg yolks or three. Right. 
it's theory to yolks. <laughs> so first you clarify your butter, obviously, mm -hmm. and then you have to emulsify those theory to yolks. You know, it's heavy, <laughs> and it's in a in a copper pan, uh -huh. and it's not in a bain marie. It's on top of the stove, and that stove is made of cast iron and is red. It's hot, like red. And you get a metal bowl on top of the metal iron. Yeah, uh, iron. with the pan, you go up and you you, you go on top, take you come off, back. You go, yeah, and you whisk and you whisk. I make scrambled eggs. <laughs> and they look at me and they think I'm a lunatic. Or they don't, they're like, who are you? <laughs> This is their reaction. And, and I'm like, I'm Eric. And they're like, how old are you? I'm 17. And they look at me and they cannot believe I am in a three-star restaurant trying to make an Hollandaise and so therefore they give me a, a Cherville to pick and I don't know what Cherville is and it goes on and on and on that day and I'm like they would, they were gonna fire me tonight Stick around to find out if this young chef actually made something of himself Welcome to From Scratch. My name is Michael Ruhlman. I've spent the last 20 years in professional kitchens writing about and with the world's best chefs. From Scratch is a podcast about cooking. In each episode, we'll talk with one chef and one non-chef about the same theme. The great thing about the cooking life is that you never stop learning. In this show, I want to go to the edges of what I know and then go beyond, together with you, with all chefs, home cooks, and everyone who cares about food and cooking. Today's theme is the egg. We'll be talking with three chefs and experts on this extraordinary ingredient, from old world techniques to modern scientific understanding and experimentation. Eric Repera is one of our country's great chefs. I met him in 2000 to work on his book, Return to Cooking. Already he had worked with some of the world's great chefs, Joel Robuchon, then Jean-Louis Paladin, and had taken over the four-star seafood temple Le Bernardin in Midtown Manhattan. Since then, it has maintained four New York Times stars and three Michelin stars, the highest accolades in the industry. His memoir is called 32 Yolks, a fascinating story about his journey in the cooking world. Why, why did you call the book 32 Yolks? Because of that moment, Why does that, why does it mean something? What does it mean to so you? So the 32 yolks mean two things. It's my first task, basically, after the Your shower. first real task. Real task. I cannot master that task. I cannot make an Hollandaise with 32 yolks. And then it means also at one point, few weeks later, maybe a month later, I'm able to make an Hollandaise with mm -hmm. 32 yolks. So it's a defining moment in my career because from being this lousy kid who's really trying hard and is annoying everyone in the kitchen and he doesn't <laughs> have the uh, physical capabilities to make an Hollandaise with 32 yolks and uh, knowledge and so on, suddenly I turn, I'm starting to become a young professional cook, mm -hmm. not a student from the culinary school who thought that with his graduation degree would be able to save La Tour d'Argent. <laughs> <laughs> At Repair's current restaurant, they use eggs from many different animals in creative ways. The eggs are very versatile because they're not necessarily only for, from chicken. Mm -hmm. They can come from other animals, mm -hmm. like the lobster. Mm -hmm. And you have different applications. Also, of course, there's fish eggs, known to some as caviar. I love caviar. I <laughs> know. <laughs> you, you like have a spoonful a day, I'm, don't I'm, you? I, at least. <laughs> well, you got to taste for the For professional incoming. reasons. Exactly. But a taste for fine ingredients wasn't the reason Eric was obsessed with getting into fine dining. Why were you determined to be in a Michelin three-star, the toughest Because I was in? interested, fascinated by fine dining. I didn't want to be in a bistro, not like it's bad or I'm not judgmental, but it was not for me. I wanted to do fine dining. I wanted to be in a brigade. Uh, I wanted to um, be able to work with ingredients that were mystical and still are mystical today, like truffles and, and things mm -hmm. like that, I wanted to deliver this very special experience. And it's why I was looking at those restaurants. You wanted to work with mystical ingredients. You named the truffle. 
Yes. For me, the egg has that same kind of mysticism toward it. It's a beautiful shape. Yes. You know, it's a gorgeous shape. It has. It contains all the things that we need to create life all inside it. Yes. It's poor. It's both delicate and sturdy. Yes. It's porous. Yes. So, um, and it has so many uses. I wrote a whole book about it. Yes. So I'm just curious about your thoughts about the eggs. Do you like eggs? Yeah, I love eggs. Why? I love eggs for many reasons. By the way, do you know that if you take an egg in between two fingers, mm-hmm. like, a, like a chicken egg, uh-huh. between two fingers, uh-huh. and you squeeze, it doesn't break. You can't break it. You cannot break it. <laughs> you can be Tarzan, you can be Superman, any strength won't break the egg. Really? You cannot. I've never tried that. Are you just, is this, is this a, a gag to get me to break an egg I'm, all over I'm my I'm not floor? joking. <laughs> I mean, if you want, after the, the, the podcast, we can try. <laughs> but I'm telling you, you're going to be amazed. Uh-huh. You can try at home when you go back home. Uh-huh. You put your uh, thumb under the egg uh-huh. and the index on top. On the top. Can't do and it. And you try. Don't try on the sides. On the sides, of course, you <laughs> I've try. I've done that already. <laughs> on the sides, it's easy. But like that. Do you know why that is? It's just, I don't know. It's, it's. I'm not an Something. expert in physics. If if I was, I wouldn't be a chef. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, eggs are, you're right, they are very mystical and mysterious and uh, very versatile in cooking, which is it's something that is rare to have an ingredient like, like the egg that can do so many things. Um, what are your, some of your favorite applications of the egg or the coolest stuff that you like to do with eggs? Well, I love sabayons because I love to see the transformation of the egg yolk into a cloud. So to me, sabayon, it's, it's something beautiful to see. But I love to watch uh, soufflés rising. Mm-hmm. And soufflés, it's eggs. <laughs> right. I mean, it's egg whites and, and the egg yolks with another ingredient. And then you look at them and they rise and... And if mm-hmm. you succeed, it's it's beautiful. If you don't, it looks it looks really bad. Um, but I like to make omelets. I like to make scrambled eggs. Uh, I like sunny side up. I like all all kind of methods to cook eggs for breakfast. Mm-hmm. I mean, you imagine in between a hard boiled egg mm-hmm. and a poached egg mm-hmm. and scrambled egg mm-hmm. and omelet. Mm-hmm. And let's suppose you eat egg benedict and you have to make the hollandaise. <laughs> I mean, it's already for breakfast. We use the eggs in five different mm-hmm. forms. I grew up in the 1970s with my mom teaching me Julia Child's method. I went to culinary school to learn their method. But I wanted to find out how one of the oldest restaurants in the world did it. Walk me through a classical Tour d'Argent hollandaise. Classical Tour d'Argent hollandaise, 32 eggs. You clarify the eggs. You give clarify the, the butter. No, no. no uh, well, yes, I'm okay. sorry. You separate, separate the, egg. the eggs. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. You separate the eggs. You give the egg whites to the pastry, pastry. department. They make macaroons and souffle and things like that. You keep the yolks um, while, while the butter is clarifying. So the butter is in a big pan close to the stove. And, and you're skimming the butter and you're, you're just... The butter never boils or... The butter just melts slowly, slowly, mm-hmm. becomes translucent. Mm-hmm. The petit lait, how you call it in, in the, the, the white whites, substance. The salad, the milk salads. Yeah. The solids go down. Uh-huh. The oil of the butter, I mean, the oily mm-hmm. part of the butter stays up. Mm-hmm. And then when it's completely clarified, which is divided, separated, divided, yeah. separated with a little, you take all the, the top. Clarified off the top. That's it, how you yes, do it. Okay. Is how you do it. Uh, the 32 egg yolks are in another pan. It's a saucepan made of copper. Mm-hmm. It's not a bowl. It has a handle. Uh-huh. And it's a big saucepan. You could put like a gallon of liquid uh-huh. in it easily. And you have a big whisk and you have to... So you put a bit of water in the egg yolks mm-hmm. just to start the emulsion. A tiny bit of water, not too much, because if not, it takes forever to make the sabayon mm. because the water has to evaporate. Mm-hmm. Tiny bit of salt on the beginning. And then you start to make an eight in an egg right. when you whisk with a whisk. Figure eight, and why is that? Because supposedly it helps the the emulsion of the egg yolks with the bit of water that you put, and it makes your sabayon very light. At the same time, uh, it's going to go much faster in the process, so it's mm-hmm. going to take only 25 minutes mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of uh, much more. And uh, it builds it with a, a lot of strength, so mm-hmm. that sabayon will be very strong. And when you're going to start to incorporate the clarified butter in the sabayon. Uh, so first you make the sabayon, which is cooking the yolks and making them the fluffy. Yolks, they have to be very fluffy. And at the end, you know your sabayon is ready when you see a eight. Oh, you can see, still see the pattern. When you do with the, 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 the whisk, 
you see the eight in a pen. Uh -huh. And also the pen moves, like you move, you rotate your pen, mm -hmm. which means that the eight is not on, always in the same angle. Right, so you're getting all the sides. and You're going to all the sides, and the, the eight helps you also to go everywhere in the pen. Mm -hmm. So it's, it, it has two reasons. One is to emulsify better, and one is to not forget any part of the uh, egg yolks in a pen. Right. Then you incorporate slowly the clarify butter mm -hmm. and you still mix. You don't mm -hmm. have to mix with the eight anymore. Mm -hmm. Then you incorporate your butter until you have the right consistency. Mm -hmm. The right consistency is basically uh, like a, almost like a mayonnaise mm -hmm. consistency. Mm -hmm. And uh, you finish the seasoning. A bit of cayenne was important at the time. Mm -hmm. And you let it rest somewhere close to the stove, like in one of the shelves. And you have that for a couple of hours. And although Eric got his start at a restaurant which might have begun in the 16th century, he's not averse to using modern technology to avoid the trauma of making a traditional hollandaise. No, I don't like machines, but I'll tell you, it's a damn, it's, it's better than the, the, the regular hollandaise. Is it? Oh, yeah. In a Robocoup? Yeah, you know why? Why? Because you're using all the, the butter. You don't have to separate the butter. See, I don't separate the butter anyway. I don't, I don't use clarified butter. If you don't separate the butter, it doesn't last. If you want your hollandaise to last a few hours, you have to separate the butter. It will hold the emulsion, you mean? Yeah, it doesn't hold the emulsion because the water of the butter make it loose. And, you know, so it doesn't hold. Hmm. But when you make it in a blender, suddenly, because of it's so strong, right, in a blender. So uh, at the restaurant, you're holding your hollandaise for three or four hours? Yeah, but we don't have hollandaise. <laughs> <laughs> and now, thanks to invention, you can bypass the manual labor it used to require for a hollandaise and make it in a blender or food processor like a Robocoup. And you put the egg yolks in a blender. You can put a bit of water, salt, pepper or cayenne, whatever you want. You melt your butter in a pan. While the butter is very hot, you pour the butter slowly on top of the eggs. And of course, the blender is working uh, not, not very fast on the beginning, slowly because you don't want to have egg yolks all over the kitchen. Mm -hmm. uh, so you go slow and you're adding and adding and adding your, your butter hot. And you have an hollandaise that has the benefit of having the entire butter. Mm -hmm. not only whole the, butter, yeah. The whole butter, not only the clarified butter. And that hollandaise, because of the strength of the machine, mm -hmm. will be very, very uh, tight mm -hmm. and can last for a long, long time. I don't know. I just don't like the idea of doing it in a food processor. I have to tell you, on the beginning, I didn't like the idea. And then at one point, I don't remember what we were doing at Le Bernardin, but um, we needed Hollandaise and we did it. And when I saw the results, I was amazed by the difference. And actually, I doubted the quality of the, the results mm -hmm. in, in, a, in a blender or the process, food processor. And I compared with the one made by hand. Mm -hmm. And it was... 10 times better. Because of the texture? The lightness, the texture, it's something. I mean, you cannot... It's something. This is Eric's way of saying that he cooks by feel and intuition. He knows it to be true. He can act confidently on that knowledge without being able to explain the exact underlying chemistry or physics because the technique is now in his bones. Eric cooks from experience and from his soul. When we come back... We're talking with someone who knows these reasons and can take a more scientific approach to great cooking. Kenji Lopez-Alt. the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. 
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid Mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Kenji Lopez-Alt began as a student of architecture, but moved into the world of the cook, working for some of Boston's best chefs, Barbara Lynch and Ken Oranger. He took a position working for America's Test Kitchen, then moved on to become a columnist for the site Serious Eats, where he was able to fully embrace his inner food nerd. He's gone on to write the amazing and best-selling book, The Food Lab, continues his work with Serious Eats from his home in San Mateo, California, and is now a columnist for the New York Times. On top of all that, he's the chef and co-owner of Verst Hall in San Mateo, which is a California sausage haven and beer hall, a man after my own loves. You know, where did this love of combining the scientific method with food and cooking come from? Can you tell us a little bit of your your trajectory? Yeah, I mean, well, uh, to be honest, you, I mean, to be honest, you had a you and your books had a big role in that because um, you know I, I remember like when I in one of my first restaurant jobs um, in Boston. I was reading your book um, in the locker room and like a couple of the other cooks came in and they're like asking me, well, what do you think of that book? And I was like, I was like, I think it's pretty great. And then, and I remember one of them being like, yeah, it's good, but that guy's kind of a dork, isn't he? (laughs) And I was like, (laughs) I was like, yeah, that's what I like about it, you know? Um, um, Because it was a pretty unique sort of analytical approach to food that, you know, guys like people like you, Jeffrey Steingarten, you know, and then of course, Shirley Corrier and, um, and McGee and, um, and all of them, um, um, had a sort of different take on, on food that that I really appreciated. Um, and then, you know, when when Alton Brown came around and he was tearing it up in the Food Network and people were really getting to food science, um, that's sort of when I sort of, I started thinking, hey, you know what, like maybe science and food is actually a career trajectory that I could pursue. What is it about you that, that pushes you to these crazy limits? And we're going to talk about a very good example of, of uh, that happened recently. <laughs> Well, I mean, a lot of it is just sort of a natural inclination to want to discover what, what the truth is, you know, and, and in cooking, there's a lot of stuff that's not truth. You know, there's a lot of stuff that is just passed on information and, and a lot of those things, like they'll get you good results, but they won't really sort of tease apart what exactly is happening. Um, and if you want sort of full control over, you know, yourself in the kitchen and over your food, then you, um, you know, the more you understand what's happening, um, at a, you know, at, at a basic level, um, the more control you have. Um, so I, you know, I, I guess what, with me, it's like books like, um, McGee and Courier, um, I love them. Um, um, but they're difficult to apply to home cooking. It's, it's difficult for the average home cook to take the information in those books and apply it to their cooking. Um, and so that's always sort of been my approach is like, 
the, the primary goal is to help home cooks. Um, and then the science is kind of just folded into that. Um, but, but the goal is always to sort of um, approach it from a perspective that like there has to be something in what I'm writing right now that's going to actually give people um, something they can use in their kitchen every day. Um, that, that's, I, I love that. I love that. I want to do that too. Um, I think we're taught that cooking is hard and it's not. And the more you understand technique, as you know, I'm all about technique. If you mm -hmm. know, if you know one technique, then you know how, you know, a thousand recipes. Um, but I love stuff that you come up with, like sensibly adding, um, gelatin to a meatloaf rather than veal. Right. <laughs> Uh, to a meatloaf or to, or to stock, if you're going to make, if you want to make a pan sauce and all you have is store-bought stock, like a little bit of powdered gelatin added to that stock before you make your pan sauce can get you that really, you know, that restaurant quality sort of rich texture uh, to a pan sauce. This episode of um, From Scratch is all about the egg and it's because, you know, I love the egg. The egg is one of the most versatile it's a miracle in the kitchen. It's a miracle of economy, deliciousness, uh, versatility. Can you talk about what what your personal thoughts are on the egg and its versatility and why you love the egg? Yeah, I mean, well, for all the reasons you listed, actually, you know, when I was a when I was an architecture student, um, this is one of the moments that I've this, that I realized that I should probably be a cook. Uh, when I was an architecture student. Um, one of our studio classes, we were one of our projects. We were all asked to bring in, um, do a presentation on something that fascinated us. I don't remember what the exact project was, but everyone, we we were doing our presentations, and everyone brought in all these architects and designers. Um, and I actually just made creme brulee for everyone and talked about um, about how interesting it is that like the creme brulee is made from an egg. It's like the same thing that you fry. It's the same thing that you can make hollandaise out of. It's like this hugely versatile thing. I mean, so I ended up talking like doing this half hour presentation about eggs to my architecture class. And that was when my architecture professor came over to me afterwards. He's like, Kenji, like, why, like, why, like, why aren't you, why aren't you, why aren't you a cook? Uh, like you obviously want to be a cook and then, and then you know, that sort of, that was that? one of those moments when I realized, yeah. Um, and, and it was the egg and, and, you know, for the reasons you listed, it's just, incredible you know it's incredible how diverse it is and what and what you can do with it and and just by you know and it's and it's all things that you can do at home with like the tools you have in your kitchen you can get this like endless variety of, of different results you can get foamy things you can get creamy things you can get fudgy things you know you can get crispy things and, and it's all just by treating it a little bit differently in your kitchen so um you know i don't think there's any better tool than an egg for sort of demonstrating um, the importance of technique and science in the kitchen um, because there's so much science involved. It's all relatively simple science because it's, it's a, you know, it's a, it's an ingredient we're all familiar with um, and we're relatively familiar with how it reacts to things. Um, um, you know, and then, and then so much technique, you know, like the, the, the measure for like a good French cook is still how well they make an omelet. Um, and it's because, you know, eggs, um, perfect eggs require, you know, they're, they're, they're a simple ingredient, but, um, perfect eggs just require perfect technique. Um, so that, that, that sort of idea, that combination of science and this pursuit of perfection and the idea that you can like practice endless, endlessly with eggs and always get better at them, um, I think is really, um, yeah, I mean, that, that's what makes eggs important to me. Can you tell me, can you describe, um, the egg physically, chemically, the diff different structural components of the white and the yolk. Yeah, I mean, well, well, an egg is mostly water, um, all parts of it, um, even the yolk. Um, I, I had this misconception when I was a kid that egg yolks are mostly fat, but they're not. They're mostly water, like like the rest of the egg. Um, um, and you know, there's basically there, there's if you want to super simplify it, there's there's like basically three parts to it, right? There's there's the there's the sort of white that's encased in the sack. Um, then there's the um, like the sort of thick white. Then there's the white that's outside of that sack, the thin white. That's the stuff that kind of spreads out in the pan when you fry an egg. Um, and then there's the sack of the um, of the yolk. Um, um, you know, and then there's some sort of there's some subtle substructures in there. You know, there's the things called chalizae, which which keep the yolk centered in the in the middle of the egg. Those get weaker over time. So you know, older eggs, the yolks will be less centered when you boil them. Um, but you know, essentially, like the egg white is made of water and protein, um, a number of proteins, you know, um, uh, what are they off the top of my head? I mean, obviously like ovalbumin, um, ovomucin, ovotransferrin, I think those are like the big, the big ones. Um, and those are the, those are the things that kind of, um, react to various cooking techniques. So when you whip them, they tend to, um, tangle up with each other and form this kind of protein network that supports, uh, meringues and foams. Um, if you cook them, they, they, they coagulate and they turn firm. Um, um, you know, and then an egg yolk also has a lot of protein in it, um, a lot of fat and a lot of water. Um, the other important thing that an egg yolk is, has is, um, lecithin, which is, um, an emulsifier. Um, so it's essentially, um, a molecule that has a hydrophilic and a hydrophobic end. So it attracts both water and, um, oil. So it's very important in, in, um, preparations where you need oil in 
and water to mix, um, like in mayonnaise or like in holidays. Well, let's, that's, um, let's talk about that. Talk us through yeah. that. Talk us through an emulsification. Well, so an emulsification is basically um, a, it's anytime you take two liquids that don't generally mix um, and force them to mix and form a stable third liquid. Um, so um, in, in, in the kitchen, like common emulsions are, are milk. Milk is an emulsion um, because they homogenize it. So the fat is emulsified into the water. Um, cream is an emulsion. Um, mayonnaise is an emulsion of oil and water. Um, hollandaise is an emulsion of oil and water. And basically, um, so if you, when you combine um, oil and water in a, say you're making a vinaigrette and you pour oil and water into, or oil and vinegar, vinegar is mostly water, so we'll just call it water. Oil and water in a measuring cup and you mix them up, um, with time you'll find that the oil droplets kind of coalesce, the water droplets coalesce and they eventually separate. Um, um, and that's because oil oil droplets are attracted to are, 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 hydro, are hydrophobic. That means they're repelled by water and attracted to themselves, other fat molecules. And water molecules are hydrophilic. They're attracted to water molecules. So they, they tend to knock it along. Um, Emulsions happen in three ways, mechanically, through viscosity, and chemically. The hollandaise uses all three, the force of whisking, the viscosity of cooked egg, and chemically via lecithin. Essentially what is happening is those lecithin molecules embed themselves in the fat molecules and the water molecules, keeping them both separate. As long as you have enough water in the mix, the oil droplets won't be able to coalesce and leave you with a broken sauce. So hollandaise, hollandaise and a mayonnaise, you know, um, use sort of all three of these means, like you, you need mechanical whipping in a hollandaise to get it to emulsify properly. Um, you need that lecithin from the egg yolk to give, to add sort of strength to the emulsion. Um, and then the final, the final sort of emulsifying agent, and it's, it's a little bit looser um, in, in, because it's not an actual thing, is um, anything that adds sort of thickness or viscosity. Um, so that could be, um, in, a, in the case of a hollandaise, that's um, heating up the egg yolk, heating up the egg yolks and, and heating up the eggs um, and starting to coagulate those proteins um, that adds viscosity um, what do you what do you how do you tell home cooks who might be a little trepidatious about this whole process uh, what do you, how do you how do you tell them to make an emulsified sauce <laughs> well I think I mean I think the you know the main thing is just it's just just to get rid of, get rid of your fear like re realize that at the end of the day you know it's, it's you know most of the people who are going to be making an emulsified sauce they're not they're not eating out of subsistence right they're eating in some form or another for pleasure and so at, at the end of the day if if your sauce doesn't work you know what's what's the worst that can happen you know you, you you serve a broken sauce and so what you get it better next time but you know i think i think really just just sort of put it pushing yourself a little bit um you know keeping a notebook also and and really paying attention to what you did last time and what you, and what you what you wanted what what questions you have and what you can experiment um you know it's really easy to design your own experiments at home and it's not really that big of a risk usually um you know, like I wouldn't recommend going out and experimenting on your prime rib for Christmas. Um, but, you know, if you experiment with eggs, you know, it's a few cents an egg. And, and most of the time, the results are going to be edible with anyway, edible anyway. So 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 why not, you know, why not start there? Um, Absolutely. So yeah, I think it's really just a, it's just it's just a matter of like putting yourself in the right mindset and, and realizing that these questions are interesting. And at the end of the day, it's only food. And it's like, you know, as long as it's edible, it's like it's doing its job. This past September, 2019, Kenji published in the New York Times the results of his most elaborate test yet. Cooking nearly a thousand eggs, and with the help of 96 volunteers, he endeavored to answer a single question. What is the best way to boil an egg? It was, in his words, the largest ever double-blind egg boiling and peeling experiment in the history of the universe. Tell me about your egg experiment. For the most recent iteration, um, um, I wanted to basically just get as much data as I possibly could. So we, we did um, around 1,000 eggs, close to 1,000 eggs, um, over 100, uh, or close to 100, I can't remember the exact number, but around 100 volunteers um, who came into my restaurant over the course of uh, a couple days. What were you looking for here? Um, so a number of things. So so what we measured um, in the peelability testing, um, we measured how long it took people to peel each egg on average. Um, so that that was sort of like a you know how 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 difficult it is to peel the egg. Um, we asked them also subjectively to rate the eggs, um, to rank the eggs in order of difficulty um, of peeling, um, and then after that we went over each egg and counted the number of sort of small imperfections, so like little divots and stuff, and large imperfections, which is where like if the white completely cracked off or, or there was like a really big divot. Um, so we, we counted all that data um, uh, with the idea that, um, you know, to, to figure out what method makes it easiest 
um, to peel to get perfectly peeled boiled eggs. Um, and then after that, we also did a bunch of taste tests, um, which were done blindfolded. Um, and the taste tests were done to basically determine what factors affect the the flavor and texture um, of, of the of the final egg. Um, so as as it turned out, um, the you know the main factor that affects um, how easy an egg to peel is, um, how easy it is to peel a boiled egg is the um, is whether you start it hot or start it cold. So if you put it into cold water or into a cold steamer and bring it and slowly heat it up, um, which a lot of recipes recommend, and it was actually a method I recommended for a long time. Um, there's a much, much higher chance that the, the egg is going to stick to the shell when you try and peel it. Um, whereas if you put it into already boiling water or into a steamer that's already preheated and full of steam, um, then it makes the eggs much easier to peel. Um, that, that's basically the only real factor um, that, that makes a difference. Um, the, the age of the egg didn't actually make too much of a difference, which I thought it would. Um, we used eggs, you know, I, I actually called, um, I managed to get about 100 eggs from backyards around, uh, around my neighborhood, um, just call, called neighbors, called up a bunch of people, egg growers and uh, egg, you know, people with backyard flocks. Um, and so I got eggs that were like literally laid the day before, um, and they peeled just as easily as eggs that, that, that uh, yeah, and that had a been, month old. That had been a common uh, belief that the fresh, that the fresher the egg, the harder it was to peel. Yeah. Not yeah, true. Yeah. I thought that too, but, um, but you know, a hundred eggs of data, like it, it made a tiny difference, but nothing that would, nothing compared to the difference, you know, that the temperature makes. And I was a little disappointed that there wasn't a surefire method. You say even uh, what you just recommended, <laughs> it won't always work either. Well, yeah, so the method I recommended, so the, the final me method I recommend is steaming. So I, I, I heat up about an inch of water in the bottom of a, of a small saucepan, you know, something that ba basically just fits the number of eggs you want to cook. Um, you heat about an inch of water to a boil um, with a heavy lid, and then you put the eggs in it. Um, you can lower the, them in with a steamer basket if you want to be a little more gentle, um, but, but I just place them straight in the bottom of the pot. Um, so they're kind of half submerged, but not really fully submerged. They don't crack? Um, you just they, boil don't, them. they don't explode? Um, so, so it depends. Yeah, it depends where, you know, some eggs are more prone to have thinner shells and are more, more prone to cracking. Um, so yes, I have had some eggs cracked. Um, if that's something that happens too commonly, then you can use that little trick where you take the push pin um, and push it into the fat end of the egg. Um, what causes that to happen is basically the little airspace in the fat end of the egg um, that expands. Um, you know, the, the water, the liquid inside doesn't really expand much, but the um, the air in there does expand a lot and, and it expands rapidly. And that's kind of what causes that cracking at the beginning, like when you first lower the eggs into hot water, that shock of expansion. Um, so if you, if you put that little pinprick um, in the fat end and you give that air... Um, uh, an avenue of escape, then you, you kind of eliminate that cracking problem. Um, and it also actually gets rid of that divot. You know, if, if you do, if you boil a whole egg, you get that divot in the fat end where the airspace was. Um, it eliminates that also because all the, the egg filling kind of fills up, you know, the, the white kind of fills up all that space. So you get like a perfectly round egg when you do that. I was also really interested in the texture of the white. And you're mm -hmm. you talk about the 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 impact of the various cooking methods on the texture of the white of the egg. Yeah, so so egg whites, you know, just like just like meat, sort of the higher the temperature you cook them to, the more firm they get. Um, and so if you really cook, the, you know, like my wife um, likes she likes to boil her eggs for like half an hour. Um, it's just something she grew up with, and and the egg whites are like, I mean, they're rubber. They get really really hard. Um, you know, and that's, that's fine. If she wants to do that, that's her. I won't eat them. But, um, but, um, so basically, you know, the hotter the egg whites get, the, um, the firmer they get. So a lot of people recommend, for instance, using a pressure cooker, um, to cook your eggs. Um, and I found that it does, um, make eggs that are not quite as easy to peel as steamed eggs because it does take some time for the pressure to, the heat to build up in a pressure cooker. Um, so they, they peel pretty well, um, very well, in fact. But, um, but the problem with pressure cooked eggs, I find, is that if you compare them side by side with eggs that were just steamed, um, they're, they're significantly tougher. The whites are significantly tougher. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where if all you eat is pressure cooked eggs, you're probably not going to notice it. And so if you're happy with that method, just like keep doing it. But, you know, once you do a sort of side by side comparison, the difference becomes pretty clear. Um, you know, and so for me personally, like I find it easier to, to use, I find it faster and easier and more reliable to just steam them than to use the pressure cooker. And I think the results end up better as well. Um, if you really want to get sort of nitpicky, um, when you're boiling your eggs, what you can do is you can boil, you can, you can plunge them into boiling water, um, let them cook for, you know, 30 seconds or so. So sort of set that very exterior, um, and then reduce the water down to sort of a bare simmer, like 190, 195 degrees, like really, 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 you know, single bubbles, um, and let, and, um, and extend the cooking time by a couple minutes. Um, and then you'll sort of get a hard boiled egg where the whites are, are even, you know, soft, even more tender than if you boil them straight through or steam, steam them straight through. Um, you know, I, I find that level of, 
attention to detail is maybe, you know, something you might do at like the French laundry, but not when I'm making breakfast at home. Um, and I never worry about stuff like that at home. So, but you have, you have determined, um, for all time, apparently the, the best way to hard cook an egg. Well, (laughs) well, the thing about, the thing about science is you can never say for all time because who knows what, what, what future data is going to show. But, um, I will, I, I, I think I have a pretty strong, um, theory here. Um, but I will always, um, I will always submit to future data and always be willing to change my mind if it, if it shows otherwise. In, in, in 30 seconds, tell me how you, how you hard cook an egg. I have to point out here that Kenji, true to his maniacal devotion to accuracy, actually nails this description in 30 seconds. All right. I boil an inch of water in a small saucepan, um, a pan that hit, just fits the number of eggs I want to cook. I bring it to a boil. I lower my eggs into it. Uh, I put a lid on it, and then I cook them, well, seven minutes for medium, 10 to 11 minutes for hard, um, and that's it. I take them out. Um, I, I peel them under cool running water. I don't ice bath them. Um, I actually found that ice bath actually makes it a little bit harder for, to peel them. Um, if you want to save them for future use, I just put them straight back into the carton um, hot on the counter and let them kind of cool on the counter, um, and that's it. Lest you think Kenji is all science and no heart, he has another wonderful project in the works. One that's more art than science, more storytelling than lab reports. Now, Kenji, uh, this was really surprising me, but I'm delighted. You have a children's book coming out? I, d- I do, yeah. <laughs> what? Well, tell me about that. How did that happen and what is it? Uh, well, it happened because I had a daughter and I wanted, to, I wanted to write a book for her. And then I was like, oh... Maybe this idea is good enough that it that it could be a book for everyone. Um, the book is called "Every Night Is Pizza Night," um, and it's it's a it's a storybook, an illustrated story storybook. Um, so I'm working with an illustrator, uh, Gianna Ruggiero. She's wonderful. Um, it's about a little girl who thinks that pizza is the best food in the world, and therefore uh, won't eat won't eat anything else. Um, to the to the to, you know to the distress of her, her parents, um, and so through the course of the book, she meets a bunch of people and eventually tries new foods and realizes that. Um, you know, there are many different meanings to the word best and that, that just because something is, you think something is the best doesn't mean that it has to be the only thing in your life. A lovely story. That sounds great. When's it coming out? Um, I'm aiming for Father's Day of next year, although I think I've heard that maybe it'll be fall of next year. Def- definitely this coming year, 2020, um, either Father's Day or, or, or by the fall. Excellent. Well, I hope it's Father's Day. That would be perfectly appropriate. Me too. All right. Kenji, again, I admire your work, no end. Um, you're, uh, you're kind of insane, uh, in the best kind of way. And uh, you're really talented at what you do. And uh, the food world is grateful for your work. And I'm grateful that you took the time <laughs> to talk today. Every one of so, those things so applies to you as well. <laughs> oh, I, I, this, I, this has been great. Thanks so much. Thank you, Kenji. When we come back, we're making hollandaise sauce the old-fashioned way, by hand, with Chef Brian Polson. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a golf course. 70 courses. Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursion? Time for chill vibes. Beach How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep expert. (sighs) 
Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Welcome back to another cooking segment from my home kitchen in my apartment here in New York's West Village. Chef Brian Polson has joined me again, this time to make a hollandaise sauce by hand, the old-fashioned way. Brian, thank you so much for uh, coming back to my kitchen to uh, do a little demo here. We were talking with Eric Repair about the egg and its versatility and um, and his own hollandaise experience. And uh, I want to... The egg's a very important part of the kitchen. Tell me why. Well, obviously because it's so versatile. I mean, you wrote a whole book on it, but I mean, think about what it does. The yolk has got fat in it. Uh, the egg white has albumin. It can act as a leavening agent. It can act as a binder. The egg whites as a binder. The egg whites whipped are, are as a leavening agent for souffle, for instance. Hard cooking, uh, excellent for, you know, of course, hard-boiled eggs, but even for sauces, hard-boiled egg sauces like the famous sauce Krabiche. You couldn't make it without the egg. Mm-hmm. Now, we're, we're, we're here to make hollandaise sauce, one of my favorite sauces. It's an emulsified sauce. It uses egg yolks. And you're, uh, tell me about your, your how, how do you do a hollandaise? Because when I was in culinary school, I was taught to make a shallot re- vinegar reduction with peppercorns. Yeah, you never do that. You, would, you could. The mother sauce is hollandaise. So it starts with egg yolks, a splash of water, which helps to... Uh, the emulsion occur, a lemon juice for acid and salt. And then that's cooked over water, a water bath, double boiler. And then off the fire, you add uh, clarified butter or melted butter. Now, reduction you, would be like a tarragon reduction would be a Bernays sauce, right? It's basically a hollandaise. So the concept of this sauce is the base sauce. Once you understand the principle of making hollandaise, you can make sauce Chiron, uh, sh- you know, of course, uh, Bernays is a classic French sauces, all based on the hollandaise. And the hollandaise principle is emulsion. So, And he's right. And it's the reason I love fundamental technique and the mother sauces. While there is some debate whether or not a hollandaise should be a mother sauce, in my mind it is, because this basic technique of the emulsified butter sauce can give us those other great sauces, as Brian says, the Bernays, my favorite sauce, sauce Chiron, which is a Bernays with tomato. And adding blood orange zest and juice turns a hollandaise into a Maltese sauce. Adding glace de viande makes it a sauce foyo, and adding whipped cream makes it a mousseline sauce. Now, have you always been great at making hollandaise? I have to admit, no. <laughs> I mean, I've only been cooking 40 years, but when I first started, my mentor was European, Chef Miles, and I had been cooking for seven years. So I'm like, you know, 25 years old. I'm in this very classic uh, European-style kitchen, and Milo says to me, make me a 12-yolk hollandaise on the fly, which means in the kitchen, you better hurry your ass up. So I do it. I make it. I look at it, taste it, season it. It tastes good. I run it to the chef because you can't serve anything unless the chef tastes it. He takes a spoon and tastes it. He looks at me, takes the bowl, the whip and everything, and throws it in the garbage and says, this is fucking shit. And I just looked at him. Of course, there's no explanation. Like, Brian, like today, you have to have a, 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 you know, a, a life coach with your cooks and say, look, Johnny, I need to help you learn what you did wrong. I mean, back in the day, it's like, okay. So he didn't explain to me. I went back, 12 more yolks. I looked at it again. Okay, it was too thick. Yes, seasoning pull fry wasn't right. Did I, did I curdle the eggs? I don't think I did. So I was very careful when I, I made it again. I brought it to him in a hurry and no, no eye contact. It's like looking at a shark. He's going to bite you, you know? So no eye contact. Looking at your shoes, hands folded. Thank you, chef. May I have another? He tasted, doesn't say a word, but he served it. That was the qualifier, baby. So he didn't say like, hey, good job, Brian. I'm proud to have you on my team. He was like, you didn't get smacked. You were doing a good job, man. 
All right, so we so start. We've, we've got a water bath here. I've got yeah. a, a big pot of uh, water, not a big pot of water, just a little bit, of two inches of water in a pot, and you've got a, a metal mixing bowl. And yeah, now it's important to have a bowl that's like we call a moon bowl. It should have slope sides. This has kind of a flat side, so I'm going to hold the bowl on an angle like that to get more air mm -hmm. activated. My favorite for these emulsified sauces is called a saucier, and it's defined by its sloping sides. If you're very skilled, as Eric was, you can put it on direct heat and pull it off as you need as your eggs cook. But it's more prudent to use a water bath. My mom cooked her Bernays in a double boiler, but all you really need is the right pan and a pot of boiling water. Hold the pan in the simmering water and take advantage of water's gentle heat. Now you, you put some lemon juice in there? A little lemon juice, a pinch of salt, and put a splash of water in. Just like a tablespoon, okay? Now, another thing is to use a piano wire whip. This is a stiff whip. Mm -hmm. uh, I prefer piano wire, it's flexible. So this is gonna be kind of loud. But I'm gonna cook this over the water bath. It's gonna start to thicken. The yolks will thicken. Aerate a little bit at the same time. Now you can do this over an open flame. I mean, we talked about that for a second. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, you know, a stainless steel bowl has hot spots. So, you know, I mean, if you're an expert at it, you can do it. But really, it's safer to do over a water bath. You don't want to cook the eggs. You, you, you want to cook them, but you want to cook them evenly. So right. if you get hot spots, you get curdling. Yeah. Right? Start, then you have little lumps in it, and then somebody might throw your bowl and whip in the garbage can. You see how it's getting aerated like that? Mm -hmm. Almost like a zabillon, yeah. right? More liquid, like uh, 12 yolks to two cups of liquid is the classic zabaglione in Italy or zabillon sauce in French, usually used for dessert. Okay, so that's about the thickness we want. Nice. Where, how, how would you describe that thing? So it's well, falling, so, almost, almost it, ribbons. It's a ribbon. It's like, yeah, kind of a thin ribbon off the, off the whip. Okay, so that's good. We can move this out of the way. Turn off the flame. Turn off the flame. Now the butter is added, the, the crucial part is the first stages. I want to reiterate what Brian just said. For an emulsified sauce, it's important to add just a little bit of fat and use that to establish the emulsion. When I'm making a mayonnaise, for instance, I add a single drop to the yolk, water, and lemon. Then whisk hard to make sure the emulsion is established. Once that's happened, you can add the fat or butter in a steady stream, whisking continuously. So the, the, the principle here is like making mayonnaise too, right? The, the initial fat added to the yolks is the beginning of the emulsion. So what's happening is the, they're combining. Uh, they're hanging on to each other, and it's going to get thick. So if you add the, the liquid butter too fast, you'll have what's called, it'll break. It, it won't bind. And you'll, the, yeah, you'll have, um, you know, you'll have a soup there. It's, it's not good. So you start very low, a few drops to start. Um, but I'm going to have my son, Ben, just hold this bowl so it doesn't move around while I... Oh, uh, thanks. Hold it on an angle like that. That's too much on an angle. All right, so I'm going to add a little bit of very slow stream. I'm agitating it, which, Michael, you know my personality? It's agitating. It's agitating. <laughs> so slowly, slowly, slowly. Once the emulsion occurs, you can add the fat faster. But if you, if you do it too fast, it will break, for sure. What do you think about using a blender or a food processor? Yeah, I've never done it, but it, any, I like anything in the kitchen as long as it follows the principle. Hang on to it. If it, if it follows the principle and, and taking advantage of modern technology, there's nothing wrong with it. Now, let's say this does break, mm -hmm. right? And uh, just so you know, if I've made a few hollandaise in my life that have broken, mm -hmm. there is a way to recoup it. You get another bowl with a few drops of water, mm -hmm. and you whisk the water and slowly add the broken hollandaise to it. See, this is a three-yolk batch. Could you imagine doing a 12-yolk batch? That's why most chefs look like Popeye. Their forearms are, like, really thick. Oh, my God. Well, there they have, I'm sure, the big... Copper yeah. mixing bowls, big balloon whips, and you can take that and aerate that like a mojo. Here I'm using basically the spokes of a 1923 Ford Model T as my whip. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you 
basically adding clarified butter here because the uh, salads are falling to the bottom. Yeah, that's right. I'm not going to use the salads because it, the sauce is getting nice and thick right now. And the more you whip, I mean, see how my elbow is facing out and I'm using my wrist action? That's the proper technique. Or if you were a larger bowl, if you were doing this with two people and adding, you put your elbow in and move this action. So now it's even yeah, more ribbony. Now it's getting thick. So this can be like a nappe. You want to hold on to that again? Yeah. A little flatter. Okay, I'm getting down to the way. So that's about about three ounces of clarified butter per yolk is the right ratio. Let's check the seasonings. Spoon. Needs pepper. It's got enough salt, I think. Mm. It's use, good. You use unsalted butter, I hope, right? I did not. That's why it's a little salty, because I know I didn't add that much salt. Right. So making this, you should always use unsalted butter. I think it needs a little more lemon juice. It could use, yeah, I'll put a little more lemon. It definitely needs pepper. Oh, you know it's important to take the lid off the pepper before you. Oh, good black pepper. Never, ever, ever use white pepper. <laughs> Brian knows I do not like white pepper. Just, just so the audience knows. Uh, the, you would use it. You the, like Jonathan, pepper. the producer, goes, it's nice to see you guys disagree. I said, it, we couldn't last an hour without disagreeing <laughs> with something. Okay, here, I think, uh, is an example of a very... Base mother sauce and, and in the saucier department, you can't mm. conquer the five mother sauces. You can make 5,000 sauces off of those five base sauces tomato sauce, bechamel, velouté, uh, uh, veal, uh, you know, espagnole, mm -hmm. and hollandaise. Yeah. Those five mother sauces make everything else. To repeat, those five mother sauces that lead to 5,000 are the demi glace or sauce espagnole, which is a veal based stock. The velouté, chicken or fish stock thickened with roux. Bechamel, milk thickened with roux, a really versatile sauce at home. Tomato sauce and the hollandaise sauce. Those are the five mother sauces. Again, what I love about cooking, other than the fact that your entire life you can learn something, it's understanding the principle and the fundamental. And if you can, you can accomplish this, this is so, so versatile. Now take savory whipped cream. Mm -hmm. Do... 30% whipped cream to that amount, fold it in, and then you glaze a piece of broiled fish and gratinate underneath a, a broiler. <laughs> Change your life, man. Uh, a tomato paste and a tarragon reduction, sauce Chiron, great with grilled meat. Um, Bernays sauce, perfect with poached fish. Hollandaise with eggs, you know, the bacon I make, whew, man, you've died and gone to heaven. Forget about Beautiful. it. Beautiful. Forget about it. <laughs> Thank you, chef. Special thanks to Chef Brian Polson for making hollandaise sauce with me. He'll be back next week showing me how to cure bacon. Thanks also to our guests, Chef Eric Repair and Kenji Lopez-Alt. Lastly, my new book is out. It's also called From Scratch, but it's all about cooking and 10 meals that can teach us all we need to know in the kitchen. We'll have a link to it in the show notes and on my site, ruleman.com. From Scratch, the podcast is produced by Jonathan Dressler. Our executive producer is Christopher Hasiotis. Our supervising producer is Gabrielle Collins. The music is by Ryan Scott off his album, A Freak Grows in Brooklyn. From Scratch is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Apple Give me a dolphin. 
What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. 